You are listening to the REI Mastermind Podcast. Join JD as he chats with industry-leading real estate experts and professionals. We learn from their experience and uncover the strategies to their success that we can implement into our own businesses and we can drive immediate results today. They share their experience and wisdom as we build the foundation to our own success. This is the REI Mastermind Network. Well, we have a treat today. Henry Doss is on the uh, call. And Henry, I really appreciate your time. Um, And if people were interested, I I really want to point them not only to your book, but to your website. Uh, So head over to Doss Knowledge, that's D-A-A-S-K-N-O-W-L-E-G-E.com. And then you also have a uh, hot selling book on if you go to Amazon, that's likely where I always end up buying things. My my Kindle collection has amassed more books than I can possibly read, and, and I continue to accumulate more. I I, don't, I think I have a problem, but uh, definitely look for his name, Henry Das D A A A D A A Two A's, one S. Yeah, that's what's funny is that a lot of people think my last name is spelt like. Similar to yours, I, I usually get people thinking Haas is spelled H A A S. And you know, um, I actually have D A S S knowledge also, as because people misspell it. But uh, I so I got the uh, mis- I got the misspelled URL, so that if they do misspell it, it'll still get them to the right place. So, yeah. so embrace. I really appreciate your time today because we kind of chatted briefly before we started before I hit record that I have a strong sense, well, I know for a fact, I shouldn't say strong (laughs) sense, that a lot of real estate investors see this as more of a side hustle or a hobby versus an actual business when it comes to real estate investing. And that's one of the main reasons why I really was looking forward to our conversation today, because I think it's it's a serious mindset uh, shift that we need to, that needs to happen. And people really need to see this real estate investing thing as an actual business. So yeah. I appreciate your time today. And uh, I think this is going to be a good primer for a lot of people. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, you know, based on like your book, I wanted to start things off right off the bat because I know that one of your first chapters you tackle is the psychology of money. And Chapter we, one. The yeah. Psychology of money. The psychology of money. And and I, I think that's something that is is pretty important because there's I think there's a lot of mental hurdles that people have to go through and get over, not only to uh, be comfortable with uh, the level of living that they could make with real estate investing, but uh, also to see that it's possible and about also how they should be managing it. Yeah, the um, in my experience, um, you know, there's there's two goalposts. There's the scarcity and there's abundance, and most people live somewhere in the middle. But um, I would say there's a tendency, at least for the people that I've met in my 61 years on the planet, um, people tend to err more towards scarcity than abundance. Right? They're worried about mm-hmm. losing their principle as opposed to what it is that they can make. But sometimes you you do meet the opposite, which is all about, you know, Bitcoin this and, you know, whatever is the new fair Tesla that Tesla's up 700 percent. And they're just looking for that quick hitter 
um, without ever really considering the risks involved. You want to live somewhere in between. There's a time for scarcity and there's a time for abundance. And the ones who are better at, at picking those times are the ones who do, who do the best, in my opinion. So. Sure. You know, it's interesting that you bring up the scarcity, scarcity concept because we've definitely found that once we get into the proper mindset of, of even su- supporting and helping the other real estate investors in the market, uh, you know, if you've ever read the book, The Go-Giver, there's a, oh, there's a, absolutely. Sure there's have. a lot to be said about getting yourself out of that mindset about b- living in, in scarcity. In fact, uh, we've, uh, in, in more times than not, if, if somebody's calling us to sell a house and we don't see it as a good fit for our company, we usually refer them to somebody else in, the, in our market mm-hmm. um, as if, as if, as if that, that's something that we, we can't we can't share or hold, you know, there's more than enough opportunity out there for everybody. Yeah. We had a situation when we sold a house back in, in uh, the depths of the great recession, uh, turned out to be 2010. And um, we had a really, really good friend who was uh, a real estate broker, but we didn't think she was the right fit to sell our house. And we hired somebody else who was, and we sold it at the ask be before even the even the um, the broker's open house, um, and this is during the depths of you know the gloom and doom. And that person has never spoken to us since. They were our really good friend, but they ain't anymore. But it was a business decision. If I had to do it all over again, I would have done it exactly the same way. Sure. Sometimes that's that's how it is. Yeah, and and it's. It, it seems like people kind of go, we all kind of go and progress a lot farther and a lot fa- faster if we work together versus seeing everyone and ev- everything as some sort of competition. Yeah, it's hard to, you know, we're red-blooded Americans. At least I'm an American. I don't know. <laughs> Are you a Canadian or something? I talked to, I just talked to a couple of Canadians this morning. I'm pretty close. I'm up near Fargo, North Dakota. So. Ah, so you're, you're, you're a, an honorary Canadian. <laughs> yeah, um, there you go. So let's just say as North Americans, we are highly competitive, but I agree with you. Um, uh, being able to do things cooperatively, uh, you're, you're going to get much, much further. Uh, my dad used to say the people you see on the way up are the same people you're going to see on the way down. So be nice. Right. So, you know, let's, let's jump into like some of the, the business aspects, you know, as people are getting into real estate investing for the first time, what would you say are some of the most common things that uh, they, that are off of their radar that they probably should be aware of? And that they should get in in line before uh, launching into any kind of big endeavor like this. Yeah, there's a whole there's a whole bunch of things. Um, one I just mentioned risk. Understand the risks involved, and there's uh, a dozen different risks. Right. Uh, one of the main ones for real estate investment is uh, liquidity risk. Right. Uh, I trade a lot of stocks. I'm you know every day I've been trading stocks since I was 17 years old. Bought my first stock uh, back in the 70s. Um, there's great liquidity with that. If I want to get out of a position, I get out of a position. Easy peasy, even if I have to take a loss. Not like that in the real estate business at all. 
very, very different timeline. Um, stocks tend to be a leading indicator. Um, housing tends to be more of a trailing indicator, meaning um, the economy has to get really crummy before it affects, the, at least in the, that's just limited to the residential housing market, because you got to get poor first before you decide to uproot your family and sell your house. Mm -hmm. Right. Where if you got a portfolio of stocks or other types of liquid assets and you need money, you get rid of them. You liquidate and you go on your way. Um, very, very easy. You'll have the money the next day in most cases. And it's just not the same way. So your your time horizon um, needs to be shifted a, a, a little bit. Uh, number two is uh, you're dealing with lenders. Right? I don't buy stocks on margin, so I never have to worry about dealing with a lender or getting called out or any of that stuff. But in the real estate business, you got to deal with lenders. Um, they tend to be um, deliberate, let's say, or methodical, or you might even say glacial. Mm -hmm. So while you're trying to do deals quickly, right? you want to get in, you want to get out, whether you're a flipper or whether you're looking to, to hold it, some people like to buy it, hold it for two years, get the appreciation, make it their primary residence, and then get the tax benefits that you get with the appreciation. Other people are like, no, I want to be a real estate professional. So I want to, I want to boot this property. I just want to get in, you know, make my profit, roll it into the next one. You have to consider all of those things before you lay a nickel down. Because I'm dealing with a bank now. My wife and I just closed on a house. Um, and we ended up having to having to pay cash for it because the the bank process got so screwed up th through no fault of ours. Um, but we were backstopped. We knew we had the cash to do it if if the mortgage didn't come through, right? And it still hasn't come through. Hmm. You know, maybe in a couple of weeks. Um, those are considerations. You, or you may find yourself dealing with hard money lenders who are going to be very free and easy with your, you know, with their lending standards, not like a bank, uh, but they're also looking for um, a quick turnaround. Right. They're not going to give you the benefit of a lot of time. So all of these nuances, it's a very different world, um, which is where it comes into this idea of it, it doesn't really run like a traditional business, right? You don't have, it's more of a balance sheet related business than a P&L. Because your your profits and loss may come in tranches. Now, if you're buying properties to rent, that's a whole other thing, right? And now you've got to deal with economic circumstances. You know, I have a friend who owns about a dozen buildings out in Wyoming, and uh, yeah, he was worried about people not being able to make their rent, and in turn, not being able to handle the debt service. Because the banks don't care that the renter doesn't have money. All they care about is you've got a note. And if you're in default, they can repo mm -hmm. a lot of things. Yeah. So, you know, what do you, would you say then, you know, when it comes to real estate investing, you, you know, you, you talked about the timelines and the time frame. Do you think it's important for people to sit down and actually develop essentially a business plan and, and a Absolutely. focus associated sure. with the real estate investing? Yeah. You need to pick a lane, right? You've got to decide. Uh, do I want to buy commercial properties, become a commercial landlord? Uh, there's going to be a lot of opportunity coming up with that. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry to say there's going to be blood in the street after this, because while there were all sorts of acts that were done for you know individuals and for tenants and such, 
landlords were kind of hung out to dry. Um, so being close to New York City, and my wife has a an office in New York City. Uh, two months ago, I spoke to my former landlord who owns a whole bunch of buildings, and he said, yeah, they, they, they didn't really do much for us at all. In the meantime, they gave my tenants license to not pay their rent by by creating a moratorium. Mm-hmm. So 2021, you may start seeing some defaults. Um, I'm always a little hesitant to, to, to suggest to people that they be predatory. And I'm not, uh, I don't like that word. And I don't like the idea that you're, you're, you're buying someone else's failure, but someone has to buy it. I know it sounds like a gross rationalization, but there will be, there will be some landlords that'll be going belly up and there will be really nice properties available for nickels, dimes, quarters on the dollar. If you've got cash in hand or have the ability to, to get a credit facility, there'll be some nice bargains out there because mm-hmm. COVID will pass and the economy will recover. And let's face it, you want to you buy low and sell high. That's what you right. want to do. You mentioned picking, picking that lane. That's, that's something that I've seen quite a few uh, real estate investors, uh, especially when first starting out, they're trying to do too many things at one time. Too many things. It really right. becomes... A problem like let's talk a little bit about that like picking that lane and and the importance of that focus well yeah it's it's um it's really incumbent upon you to to come up with you know a, a starter deal right maybe it's a uh maybe it's a single family home or or an mdu or something like that something small and something manageable that you can cut your teeth on because let's face it you've never done this before so if you're going to make mistakes and you're going to make mistakes uh you don't want those mistakes to kill your your business to be the death nail so start with something simple and see how you like it you know, I just had a conversation with my middle son. He's 24, and he was talking about he had been reading and seeing some stuff on that darned internet about buying properties with no money down. Mm-hmm. I, you know, we've all seen those, whether it be Carlton Sheets going going way back into the into the archives, or any of these other guys that you see out there. Uh, and I'm not saying that they're that there um, is no way that you can buy a place for no money down because there is, but you might have to look at a thousand deals before you find one that actually fits the formula to buy with no money down. Mm-hmm. Why do you want to do that? Right. Understand the parameters. So if you're going to say, okay, um, I got 20 grand that I could afford to lose and no one will go hungry. So let's see, maybe I can buy myself a five to one loan to value. I can buy a hundred thousand dollar property and put 20 grand down and borrow the other 80. And then maybe I can get a small construction loan to do some upgrades and do a flip and see if I like that. See if I can make some money. You have to like it. When I was talking to to my son, Michael, I said, why is this something that you have an interest in? Well, I I know you can make a lot of money. I said, well, that's not good enough because you kind of have to like it. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be passionate about it. That you don't. I wrote something. It's a little freebie on my my, uh, website that says five reasons small businesses fail. And the number five reason is people confuse passion for commitment, right? Passion might, might, might be the thing that got you uh, to the altar, 
right? But as someone who in two days will be celebrating my 30th wedding anniversary, uh, not to say that the passion is gone, let's just say it has to be replaced by a commitment or somewhere along the line, you're going to end up in divorce court, right? So when you're going to put your heart and soul into a real estate business, you should really like real estate. You know, you should, you should like to do it because you're going to be doing it a lot. <laughs> you're going to be putting a lot of hours into it. So why not enjoy it? If not, find another avocation that you really do like because there's tons of ways to make money. Well, you, you mentioned these five reasons for why businesses fail. Now you got to go down that list. Like, oh, now I got to go down the list. So number five is um, uh, passion versus commitment. Number four is messaging. Nobody knows what it is that you do, right? Your message is completely off or you're trying to be all things to all people. So you're nothing to anybody. Number three, curiously, is money. And if other people put these things together, they'll, they'll put money higher than that. But I put money at number three. Um Number two is hiring. Most people flat out suck at hiring. They just mm -hmm. they just don't do a very good job of it. Even clients that I have who run you know ten million dollar companies, um, they struggle with hiring. They make a lot a lot a lot of mistakes. Um, and number one, ready? Survey says, idea. The number one reason that small businesses fail is your idea sucks. It just does. What you're trying to do just sucks. Mm -hmm. I've seen it over and over. I've had zillions of ideas. And as I said in my book, trillions of dollars have been saved by people not executing their dumb ideas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, I've had zillions of ideas. I've had great ideas. You know, I had an internet radio station that I streamed out over the internet before Sirius and XM was invented. The problem was I had no ability to scale it. I gave the URL to a couple of friends of mine so they could stream my, my 30,000, you know, song music collection. This is going back to the nineties, but the problem is I could only run it on occasion because the bandwidth was so low. Not like today where you, mm -hmm. you got 400 gigabits, you know, we had 1.5 megabits and that was super fast. <laughs> that was a T one line that cost you a thousand dollars a month. Um, so I never executed that, that idea, but other people did. And they created businesses and they made, and they made uh, money with them and, uh, and good on them. So make sure your idea is good. So if you want to go into the real estate business, um, think about the idea of what it is. What are you doing? Are you going to go into imp economically impoverished zones, try to take advantage of, of uh, tax abatements and such? I know people who do that with the idea that you're going to rehab them and flip these houses. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe you're going to build a portfolio together and then send, sell them off to a bigger landlord. Have a plan. Or maybe you just want to want to buy a really nice house. I, we bought a house for, you know, seven figures, partner and I, back uh, 15 years ago, uh, and we knocked it down. You know, we knocked down a million-dollar house and built a $3 million house. You can do that too. A mm -hmm. lot, a lot, a lot of different ways. But you got to assess the risk understand that and then be able to sleep when you put your head on the pillow and I'd say, yeah, I'm okay with the risks involved here. Sure. Well, ju just as a reminder, I want everybody to head over to your website, dasknowledge.com, D-A-A-S-K-N-O-W-L-E-D-G-E.com. 
Uh-huh. And uh, I know that you have quite a bit of content available there for free. I mean, uh, not only your five, your list of five, but uh, you, uh, I, one of, one of the things that uh, I wanted to talk about then is since it, you did make it your number one regarding the idea, uh-huh. is there like some quick test or some guidance you can give to if somebody has an idea, like what, what, what should be done or, because if you start to ask my, if I ask my friends and family, Hey, I have this idea. What do you guys think? More times than not, I I frankly don't think I get an honest response. They're just going to be supportive. They're going to be, you, you have a, you have a great family, right? (laughs) I went to my family and I did that. They'd beat the crap out of the idea and say, that sucks. It's awful. It's terrible. What were you thinking? Right. So yeah, if, I agree. I agree that you should go out to everybody. What I basically tell is tell people is you should beat the crap out of your idea. You and anybody else you know, tell me why this idea is junk. Just mm-hmm. be be honest. Be brutally honest. Tell me why this is just a dumb idea. Right. And you want to get as much information. What I generally say is if you can beat the crap out of your idea and it's and it's still alive, you might be onto something. Hmm. Right. Because people will come up with a million things. So find those contrarian friends. Right. Everybody has them. The friends who you say black and they always say white. And those are the guys you go to first and say, hey, I got this really good idea for, you know, building a flying skateboard. And they're going to come back to you and say, you know, first thing that come out of mouth is it's already been done, mm-hmm. right? That's usually the first thing people will say. And what I tell people is it better have already been done because if it hasn't already been done, there's a reason because you ain't that smart. Mm-hmm. You think you invented this? And I had a client who had a, who had a real estate app years ago. And I asked him, who, who's, who's the competition? But the first thing I'll ask, who's, who are you competing against for your business? He said, nobody. I said, you better go out and find somebody. He accidentally found out a company um, that, to make a very long story short, uh, had been in business for 18 months, raised $14 million, and sold it for over $100 million to a, you know, a giant real estate company. I said, that just proved that your idea has legs. Oh, well, they've already done it. It's like, you think they have all the market share in the world? No, you're talking about a trillion dollar market here, multi-trillion dollar market. There's plenty of room for businesses. You know, people people think they need to carve out a a niche that is so unique that there's no competition, Mm -hmm. where it's frankly just the opposite. If it's that niche-y, there's probably nobody there who wants it. Otherwise, somebody else smarter than you would have already invented it or already fell fell on their face. Every once in a while, though, you do find something that is is really niche and you better blow that up quickly and sell it before some big behemoth like Amazon or Google or Apple figures, if, if, let's say it's in a tech business, uh, figures it out and then crushes you, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Amazon is notorious for even investing in small in, in small fledgling enterprises with super cool technology and then basically brain raping them and, um, <laughs> and starting their own cheaper service. I mean, that's now that's predatory, but that's the law of the jungle. So right. you need to be advised. 
So, you know, this probably goes back to the the concept of living with more of an abundance mindset, but what do you tell about those people who are afraid to share their idea because they're somebody who could steal it? I, you know what I say to them? I said, I said, you should hope. You should hope. You should hope they steal it. You have it documented and you've got money to hire a lawyer to sue them uh, for infringing your intellectual property. Right. The ones who make the money are the ones who take the risk and invest. Just like I said, I invented I invented Dropbox. Right. I had I had, uh, you know, before Dropbox ever existed, I invented a cloud storage thing again back in the 90s that I used for my personal use. Right. I never scaled it up. I couldn't. Again, the Internet was really slow and it was very, very difficult to do it. But I, I liked the idea that I could have files out on this storage device at my office so that when I was home, if I needed it, I could I could get to it very seamlessly. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't steal my idea. They they just concurrently came up with the same idea and executed it and raised all the money and did all the stuff that needed to be done. Right. And. I'm not going to sue them, right? Even though I had documentation, I have a friend who actually sued, you know, had in, had a process patent uh, back in the '90s, and and he's a lawyer, and he sued uh, some very well-known entities, and 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 made almost an eight-figure settlement. Uh, but he never executed anything. It was a process patent, meaning he just had an idea and he patented. Hmm. I don't like that. I personally am not a fan of patent trolls. Uh, I'm a fan of entrepreneurs who take risk and put capital at risk and go out and do stuff. They're the ones who deserve the, the spoils. You just sitting in your room somewhere coming up with a great idea for an internet radio station and then and implementing a little prototype but never doing anything with it to scale, you deserve nothing, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Right. Yeah. You know, um, Another topic that I thought we should uh, touch on is is why people should consider getting a coach. Because you know, mm. I think there's a I, I think there's a there's a concept there whether it's the expense of it or you know, I I wanted to go through a list of like reasons why people should consider getting a coach. And I think you've mm. demonstrated more than one reason why <laughs> A coach talking to a coach is a good idea, um, but uh, I know on your on your website again, you you likely have a list of reasons why people. I have t- I have yes, it's very very astute. I have ten reason ten questions you should ask when hiring a coach. Yeah. Sure, yeah, it's like a thirty page PDF. I put that up there, and a friend of mine said, "Who's going to read a thirty page PDF?" I said, "I don't know, but it's good. It flows. You should read it." <laughs> he liked it. Um, yeah, I figured. I figured after you know interviewing scores of people to be potential clients, I'll, I'll give them a little a little primer on it. Um, uh, here's the thing about coaching: is uh, one one of the reasons that people shy away. Yes, it's the money. They it's not even the money so much; it's the difficulty in being able to calculate an ROI. Right. So if you're a real estate pro, or if you're a Let's let's let me let me take that back. If you're a real estate wannabe pro and you want to get in there, you don't really know anything. You've never done this before. You have no deals behind you, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a serial entrepreneur. So if you're coming to me, I've got 30 years of experience as an entrepreneur. The funny thing is that most coaches that I know uh, have never run a business other than their coaching practice, right? Mm-hmm. But I've run real multi-million dollar businesses, so it's very different, 
I've walked in the shoes. Same thing. If you want to be in the real estate business, find some guys, find some, some mentors or whatever the case may be. But they're only going to take you so far. Because the truth is, until money changes hands, until you actually hire somebody in a professional relationship, it's too easy to quit. It's mm -hmm. too easy to just take the advice and go because you've got no skin in the game. Um, I've told many a prospect, I'm saying, look, look, uh, you know, I charge anywhere from $1,500 to $2,500 a month. I said, that's for your benefit, not for mine. And they laugh and they look at me. Said, How is that, dude? I said, because, you know, at $2,500 a month, you're going to make the commitment to make this work. You want to get an ROI out of this, mm -hmm. right? If I gave it to you for free, Hey, you'd blow off sessions. When I first started coaching like 10 years ago, I had a guy who you know blew off a session. And when I finally pressed him on it, he's, you know, a free session. People told me you should give away your, your coaching for free. And he said, I had to cut my lawn. And I thought, that's your priority? You blew off the session with me? Well, if that session had cost him 500 bucks, you think he would have blown that off? Right. No. So that is, yes, I benefit from it, sure. No question. I want to be, be glib about it, but it really is for your benefit. People say, I want to get in shape, Henry. I say, good, go join a gym that costs 10 grand a year. It's like, why would I do that? I said, because if it costs 10 grand a year, you're going to go. Hmm. And if you don't go to a gym that costs 10 grand a year, you're never going to get in shape, right? Hmm. Sorry. Again, we're back to the idea of red-blooded Americans being motivated by money. In my experience, it's a great motivator. Or the other side is, I, I often say, an empty belly is a great motivator, right? And being an entrepreneur means I don't work, I don't eat. I've got no, nothing to fall back on at all. So, yes, coaches, um, but coaching is really, really, really hard for the coachee because nothing changes if nothing changes. So if you just think you're gonna come in and coast along and continue to do stuff, if you think you're gonna fool the coach with all this puffery and and, and give, give off the vibe that, you know, I got this, it's not gonna work because things are gonna have to change. So what I found in my experience is that many coaching clients will flame out after about six months. Um, and the reason is it gets hard. Mm -hmm. You know, the story that I, the, the analogy that I give for people, I'm a golfer. So um, years ago, I hired a, not that many years ago, six, seven years ago, I hired a, a golf coach because my my game had fallen apart. I had self-taught and I hired a golf coach to teach me a more fundamentally sound swing. And I've hired lots of coaches over the years. I've had all sorts of different coaches. And um, I discovered something really interesting for the next couple of years my game got worse. My game sucked, got worse. And I, and I, with every fiber of my being, I'm like, I got to dump this coach. He's an idiot. Bah, 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 bah. But I had this little voice in the back of my head that says, no, you know, he's onto something. You're resisting. You are resisting his coaching. Mm -hmm. And it took me three full seasons. And then all of a sudden, he made me mindful of the fact, stop focusing on the bad shots you hit. And even if you just hit two or three shots with this new swing that I've taught you around, I want you to remember those because what you focus on expands. And that's what I did. And that changed everything. I started becoming an, am I got amnesia about the bad shots and focused on, and then all of a sudden the good shots started to multiply. 
So now scores that I would have been elated with six years ago, right? If I shot mm -hmm. an 85 six years ago and I was like a 12 handicap, now I shoot 85 and it's like, what went wrong? Oh my God. My game mm -hmm. was awful. Expectations, everything changed. Same thing with the coaching. You're not going to know it's effective until you look back on the person you were when you started and realize that I'm not that person anymore. I'm so much better. Hmm. And, that's, and that's because the coach was there. That's how it works. Yeah. You know, it, we, we run in, especially in the real estate investing, you, you pointed it out. We have a lot of people offering coaching. At, sure. I mean, I, I mean, it's almost overwhelming. You know, there's like, there's no there's no barriers to entry. Anybody who wants to can be a coach tomorrow. That's what I did. I, I mean, I took a year's worth of classes, spent a lot of money to to be trained in best practices. But one day, I hung up a shingle and said, "I'm a coach. Mm -hmm. Hire me." Right. As a result of low barriers to entry, think about any other business where there's low barriers to entry. Podcast. What happens is. Yeah, podcast, right. Everybody and his kid brother has it. No, I, I agreed. Um, there's a zillion of them. Low barrier to entry. Right. I've been on, like I shared with you before, I've been on like 50 or 60 of those starting over whatever it is, the last nine months, starting mm -hmm. back in March. You know, I hired at two agents at one point in time. So now I have an agent who, who gets me gigs. Uh, I love doing it and I do it. And I've seen them all over the map. I've seen really, really good professional ones, people who who uh, really go the extra mile to do the marketing and stuff. And I've seen other folks who are, who just kind of cut and paste the stuff off your website. And that's, that's the show notes. Mm -hmm. um, as in any other business, there's, there's, um, there's the, you know, the upper echelon. Uh, so think about the upper echelon in the real estate business. It's only, you know, a handful of, at least like in, you know, I use New York as the bellwether, right? There's a, there's a handful of them who are at the top, you know, the Helmsleys, the, the uh, Rudin, right? A few of them, mm -hmm. right? Trump would not be at the top of that. I mean, I know people, lots of people in the real estate business, and they're like, no, he's not a player. Mm -hmm. You know, just not, not the guy, right? Um, so what, what's the difference? You know, his dad, Fred, was a real real estate developer. Um, he was down in the trenches doing the stuff. I mean, that, which is not to say he was perfect. Obviously, they uh, they did a lot of negative things back there, especially with redlining and a lot of other stuff like that. But he was the real deal. Uh, and there are guys that are like that. You want to find out what you can about those if you're getting in the real estate business. The um, I did work for the Tishes, the Tish family, right? And they started with nothing and they built a gigantic empire mm -hmm. um they'll 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 teach you the best practices on how to do this stuff uh read their biographies right talk to other people not everybody that you meet is going to be helpful if you're not paying for them so finding mentors is a bit of a mixed bag um but if it doesn't work find another one lots of people out there so you mentioned having a list of questions you should ask, like how do, how do you select a, a good coach or some of that stuff that would be considered a red flag? Um, one of the things 
that I think is important is understanding how they run their practice. Like I met a coach during my coaching training who said at one time he had 80 clients. It's like 80 clients. I'm doing the math in my head as to how many hours there are in a week. It's like, how much, how could you even keep that straight? Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to keep between eight and 12. I've had as many as 15. 15 is a little overwhelming, right? Um, you want to, uh, you're, you're looking for someone who's going to be highly focused on you. Let's face it. Mm-hmm. That's what you want. But if somebody's just running a, a coaching mill and there are folks out there who do that, you, you don't want to be involved in that. Um, one of the other things that I talk about is, um, uh, I'm a bespoke coach, meaning everything is custom. Um, there are folks out there who are, who are selling methodologies, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a you know there's a zillion books out there that are buy property with no money down, right? Mm-hmm. That that's a that's a formula. Uh, if you're good at following formulas, uh, that might work for you. But I would say if I pick ten people out who wanted to be in the real estate business, maybe one would be good at following a formula and be successful with it. The rest of them would say, I didn't get into this because I wanted to follow a formula, right? If I wanted to follow a formula, I'll go work in corporate America. So my job as a coach is for me to adapt to you and understand your patterns, uh, your blind spots, where you excel, where you fall down, as opposed to trying to teach you five steps to scale your business. Right. Right. I mean, I've had all sorts, I give clients homework. I've had some, some clients who love it and they thrive on it. And I have other clients who are like, I'm never, ever going to do your homework assignment. <laughs> just tell you. And I said, well, I'm going to assign it anyway, because I want you to be thinking about it, even if you don't do it. Right? Whatever it is, I'm going to adapt to it to work with you in a way that works for you, as opposed to you trying to adapt to me. Right. So that's key. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I mean, you, you went on, you were talking about how you stuck with your golf coach for a couple of years and you really stuck it out before that we were talking about how people flame out, you know, maybe at the six month mark. Yeah. How did you stay focused? And, and I know you said you, you thought he's onto something and you, and you stuck with it, but I mean, frankly, uh, I think that was just more experience. You know, I, I was in my fifties when that happened. So I, and I had had enough coaches over the years and I coach, I'd coached enough. Like I, I have three boys. I coached them all in their sports. Um, I think that was just more, more the experiential knowledge that I had hidden in my brain told me that I had to stay the course, even though I was screaming to quit. You know, it's the devil I know versus the heaven I don't know. I'd be in the middle of a round and it's like, ah, you know what? I'm just going to go back to my old swing because mm-hmm. even though it's, it sucks, at least I know what I'm going to get for it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy to talk yourself out of things, right? Because change is hard, right? I just want to do things the way that I've been doing them, right? I'm not a neuroscientist, but I talk about you know, people's synaptic pathways, they get well-worn, right? Mm-hmm. Over the years and years, your patterns. If I'm a pattern trader, so I'm trading the markets all the time and I'm looking for patterns. Um, and your, your brain over time wants you to light those up, even if they run counter 
to your best interest, right? I mean, this is fundamental of like a, a addiction therapy is the reason why it's so um, uh, difficult to overcome is because your, your body is, wants that. Even though your executive function in your brain knows it's bad for you. That's tough. That's tough to overcome. That takes an enormous amount of work and it's easy to quit, right? Mm -hmm. It's easy to quit when the going gets tough. It just is. That's why I like to, I like to introduce money as a way to keep you motivated, right? Right. Pay a bunch of money and it'll keep you motivated. Maybe it's, maybe that's a little too simplistic. Maybe there's something else that you need to keep yourself motivated. Um, I also think it's important that you change coaches too. Uh, I've had, I have long-term clients, but I've also had people who've, who've kind of, you know, we've kind of taken it as far as we can take it together and then they need another voice. Mm -hmm. So if for some reason I wanted to take my, my golf game at this point to the next level, uh, I would probably hire somebody different just to get me that next incremental level up. Right, because I don't coach people that have hundred million dollar companies. That's a different coach. Uh, I like to be down in the trenches, where people are starting with small numbers and and really getting, you know, getting up to that million dollar and then plus number. Um, mm -hmm. you know, that's that's my wheelhouse. Now, fortunately, only about mm, only about four percent of all businesses in America, and there's thirty million of them, ever get past a million dollars in any given year. So. That is the fat part of the bell curve, right? Mm. I'm not, um, I'm not uh, in a little tiny niche. I'm, I'm like right in the center of the highway, right. um, which is good. I like, I like the odds. Seven and a half billion people on the planet, and I need eight of them to be my client, right? Oh, Pretty good odds a... there. Pretty good odds there. I like those numbers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, you know, I. I think we could continue. We could go on and on here because I could just keep asking you more questions that I wanted to be aware of your time. And I just realized that we've been chatting now for, for longer than I told you we would. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what happens when a conversation flow. I'm okay on time. It's one fifty-seven where I am. Sure. I have a, I have a mastermind, uh, a, a passive investing mastermind group that I host at two thirty. So, uh, yeah. so I'm good for a couple more minutes. Well, since you broached the subject, masterminds, like yeah. that's, it's one of those things that everybody has heard of, you know, that the term, I don't think there's been a ton of people, especially those starting out in real estate investing who've actually participated in an actual mastermind. Like, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I've definitely have found some serious benefits having being part of a, of a couple masterminds. Like, how, how important is that, is that type of uh, strategy, you know, or that type of event? And what well, do you typically want to get out of a mastermind? If you're running a strict um, Napoleon Hill style kind of a mastermind, the idea is to create accountability. So it's an accountability group. Um, I do a LinkedIn mastermind for marketing um, every, every Wednesday. And we have accountability goals. Um, in my passive investing mastermind group, um, we we talk more about the markets. Um, kind of moved away from the accountability goals per se. Although uh, I don't I don't participate. I just curate it. 
So uh, I have a, a, something on my website I call the DOS Masterminds, where I do a, a you know a, a four-pay curated mastermind. Uh, and the idea is again back to the money idea. I've been in in more than a dozen mastermind groups, and they tend to fall apart over time. Uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one is it's too easy to miss the meeting because you haven't paid any money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and secondly, there's no one to uh, hold the accountability group accountable, right? People are afraid to call somebody out for not following through on their accountability goals because they don't want to get called out if for some reason they miss later on. Mm-hmm. So um, again, we're back to the scenario of um, whether people want to call somebody out for something mm-hmm. you, you you said when you know with your business ideas people are going to be too nice well a mastermind group where everybody is a little too nice probably not going to work mm-hmm. uh, so what I've so what I've created is this idea of a curated mastermind where I'm running the group um, and I'll call you out if you don't meet your accountability goal I need to know why the group needs to know why. There's no point in being an accountability group if you're not accountable. Mm-hmm. Go do something else. Again, mm-hmm. you, you know, it takes a, a quasi-trained professional like me to be able to run that group and not alienate people. You've got to be able to do it nicely, but firmly. Mm-hmm. You're reminder, you're in this group because we're setting up goals. You want to get from point A to point B. So if you're in a real estate mastermind group, and I've been in mastermind groups where people have just um, just keep kicking the can down the road. Every every week, it's the same accountability goal. That's not going to work. At some point, you got to do it. Otherwise, what's mm-hmm. the purpose of having the goal? So they are valuable. And it certainly can be done for a, um, a lower price point because it's a group a group thing. So I don't charge what I charge for one-on-one coaching. But again, you're not going to get the same benefit. Mm-hmm. Huge benefit to being coached one-on-one with people. Huge. Different, same thing, going back to the golf analogy. I did one-on-one coaching. He hooked me up to a machine. It was I was videotaped. It was a personal thing. I've also been in golf clinics where there's a guy walking back and forth. Think about it. Which one are you going to see greater progress in? Right. But you'll at least, in a group setting, you'll at least make progress. Mm-hmm. Right. The important thing is have a non-judgmental set of eyes. You know, we, we as coaches, we're trained in judgment-free awareness. I'm not here to judge anything that you want to do. I'm here to chop it up and figure out whether this is the direction you want to go. But ultimately, you make the decisions. It's your balance sheet. It's your income statement. It's your money. They're your deals. I've had clients who've asked me to invest in their business. It's like, no, it's not what I do. That will change the nature of our relationship. I don't want skin in the game other than what you pay me. Right. And we've already established that you're paying me for your benefit. Right. I'm here to, to take the blinders off when they need to come off and put the blinders on when they need to come, when they need to be put on to get you to focus or to get you to see the big picture. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, there's a yin and a yang going on every day with every client. So, you know, the, uh, you, you've brought that up a couple times now, the, the concept that, you know, you're, you're paying the coach for your benefit, you know, not for the coach's benefit, but for, for your, for the business owner's benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, that's very similar to real estate investing. You know, we're talking to a lot of um, motivated sellers, if you will. And there's a lot of people who uh, talk to these motivated sellers as if apologetically, as if because we have the reputation for taking advantage of the situation. Right. But that's a mindset thing, too, that's similar to what you're talking about, is that we're there for the seller's benefit. And if they see that benefit, great. You know, there's something, a deal to be had there. But I just thought, I just realized that there's a, there's a similar concept there. Well, I've heard, I've had people say, um, you know, how much should I, you know, bid on this? I don't want to make an insulting offer. Mm-hmm. It's like, what's an insulting offer, right? Somebody's asking a million dollars for the property. Offer them 600,000. You have no idea. Oh, that's mm-hmm. insulting. They're never going to respond to me. Um, the famous story that I wrote about, or at least the famous in the, in the Doss family, um, that I wrote about in my book, um, we went to see a house when we were moving out of New York City, moving to the suburbs when the kids were little. And um, it had only been on the market for like two or three days. And we looked at it and uh, we really liked it. It was move-in ready. It had a few mm-hmm. f- flaws. It was on a double yellow road and the kids were young and they were city kids. And I was worried about you know them chasing balls out in the street. You know, simple stuff like that. But things that could be remedied. You know, mm-hmm. put a fence up. You know, how hard is that? So we offered them 10% below the ask asking price. And this is a seven figure property. Thought it was a very fair offer. Never heard a peep. Never heard back, no counter offer, no nothing. So about a year later, so we went and we bought another, a different house. And we did a big renovation on that house. And then about a year later, and we bought it with a different broker. I bumped into the original broker downtown. And I said, oh, whatever happened to that? Whatever happened to that house? She said, well, it's still on the market and it's the ask is $100,000 below what you offered. Hmm. And I said, really? So what is the story there? She said, well, when you came in there all hot to trot and offered them close to, so close to the asking price, they thought they mispriced it. Hmm. So they waited for more buyers like you to show up and no other buyers like you showed up. So you're talking about the motivated seller. Well, don't forget about the motivated buyer. When a motivated buyer shows up, don't be a fool. Mm -hmm. At least counter, right? Exactly. Ghosting people in a real estate deal. You, you, you know what you're dealing with when, when people ghost you. It's like uh, sometimes you just say, look, they're just not, they're not pros or they're, or, they're, or they're rookies. We just bought this house. We had to pay 20% over the ask. 10 people bid within 24 hours because, you know, the market is, is insane. Um, but because we've been around a block a few times, we said, well, no mortgage contingency. Mm-hmm. And we found out afterwards that they had higher offers than ours, but mm-hmm. they were mortgage contingent. So they took our offer. So I said to my wife, well, maybe we should flip it. <laughs> yeah. they, we're not. We're, we're, we're in the process of, of moving in now. So it, the door swings both ways, right? I tell people, just 
you know, it's a golden rule. Treat people the way you would want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Right? Don't be a predator. Don't be a schmuck. Right? Be a professional. Be a pro. It's amazing. I hate to say this, but I got to say it. How many people I've met in the real estate business who are just not behaving professionally? Mm-hmm. They just aren't. We've had deals fall apart in the past. We had it about five, six years ago. About the same time I went to the golf coach, we tried to buy another house, a summer house. And we had a deal and everything was done and we negotiated for weeks and weeks and weeks. And um, and then they got an offer at the full ask and they and they tanked our deal. And we had didn't have a signed contract. So until the contract is signed, you, you know, if you're in the real estate business, until the contract is signed, all bets are off. Mm-hmm. Right? Until that signature is on the line from both the buyer and the seller, it ain't a deal. So right. always remember that for you, you know, rookie real estate folks out there. Until it is signed by both parties, it is not a deal. It's just mm-hmm. a piece of paper. And you have no recourse. These people behaved unprofessionally, I thought, both the broker and, and the sellers. And you don't want to deal with it. It's bad juju. You just don't want to deal with people like that. Just mm-hmm. don't. There's a zillion deals out there, right? I trade such. I, I trade stocks. I don't. There's a saying, you know, if you're a stock trader, we don't chase buses, right? If a stock runs away from you, you don't force it. Either you wait for the the price to come back to your buy price, or it goes bye bye and it's off to the races. It's Tesla and it's up seven thousand percent or whatever it is. And it's like, ah, you'll lament that you missed the bus. Well, you missed the bus, you missed the bus. There's always another trade that comes down. Right. You know, we've had we've looked at hundreds of houses over the years and uh, we've had deals tank. They just, and my wife gets all upset about it and I tell her, don't fall in love with the deal because sometimes they go bye-bye. Mm-hmm. You just do, but there's always another one. Yeah. <laughs> there's always another one. And everything happens for a reason. So keep that in mind. Well, I, I really appreciated your time here today. And, and uh, I'm going to uh, definitely uh, make sure if, if you're open to it, you know, uh, I have an idea. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, my God. Do tell. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but uh, I, I do. I hope that you'll consider coming back on the show because I think there would be. Anytime you want some uh some interesting conversations on a deeper dive on specific topics um I sure mean, that uh, that we definitely could tackle you have an I, idea I really i'll be happy, your I'll be time happy to rip I, your idea to shreds <laughs> no problem yeah yeah you could you probably could so uh, but head over to dosknowledge.com and get get some help there i know uh there is a ton of resources that are freely available there and uh See if see if this is a would be a good fit. I mean, the, I I think that there's a lot of people that would definitely benefit by at minimum going to your website and and looking at some of this content because, frankly, uh, it's it's shocking how much you freely give away. You know, I, I look I, the dirty little secret is I give the book away. If you go on my website and you nosy around, you'll find a link in there. So you don't have to pay the 20 bucks at Amazon, although people do. Um, you can just download it for free. I mean, I want people to read it. I give it, I freely give it away for free. The only one who makes money off of books is Jeff Bezos. So, and last time I looked, he's already got enough money. 
So I'm happy and you'll, you'll see there's all sorts of, I talk a lot about the different real estate deals. I talk a lot about stocks. I just, it's 18 chapters. It pretty much takes you from cradle to grave on your money, all sorts of stuff that you probably never wanted to know, but you really should. Because uh, it is the one thing that you are going to, you're never going to get a break from dealing with money unless you just become so ultra wealthy that it doesn't matter anymore. And if right. so, good on you. You don't need me. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, again, it's dasknowledge.com, D A A S knowledge.com. Make sure you check that out. Uh, I'll also make sure to include all your social network links in the sure. show notes when when the show becomes available. But I really appreciate your help. This has been this has been a great conversation. And like I said, I hope we can do it again very soon. Oh, love to. I really enjoyed it. This has been the REI Mastermind Network. You can already tell that we've made some changes and a few more are on the way. If you are interested in what we have planned, head over to patreon.com slash REI Mastermind and support the show today. Financial contributions are always appreciated along with a like, share, and review. It really helps us grow and reach more people with this valuable information. See you next time, and tell a friend.